Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Les Kaiser, and Jonathan Green. Presented by Mosing Motor Cars. It's the fastest hour on the radio, Speed City. Welcome to the show, gearheads. Man, we are excited about tonight's show. It's John Massengale. I'm sitting in studio with Jonathan Green, and we're also joined by the champ himself, Kevin Sh- No, it finally feels like it. You're absolutely right. But, man, that MotoGP race was great today. Let me run down what we got on the show. Obviously, okay. Kevin, Kevin's going to be here and talk a lot about MotoGP. And we also have uh, an interview that we did yesterday with Brendan Hartley, so Formula One driver for the Toro Rosso team. Really excited to hear that because he talks a lot about the relationship with Honda, and of course, um, and and of course his upcoming season with Toro Rosso. What races he wants to go to? It's his first full season about. as well. You know, that's right. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we're, we got those two things, and we also, Jonathan, tell us about the other interview that we've got later in the show. Well, the, the, the reporter, Sasha, Sasha Bokel, that did the interview for us, he's probably the top commentator for Japan, and he's a, a German-Japanese, if you will, but he does all the, the race commentary in Japan for Super GT, for, for, for anything that's going. And I talked to him, we'll have a podcast out uh, this week, uh, but I talked to him generally, and we'll have him on, on a regular basis, because I'm always fascinated what the Japanese take is on everything that we talk about because because of the you know not everybody speaks Japanese it's great to have somebody who does both uh, and he can give us a take on what's going on over there what the thoughts are between McLaren and Honda now that that relationship's over the new relationship between Toro Rosso and Honda uh, and he agreed with me effectively that you know Honda have had a huge reputation in Formula One that has been decimated from the last four years with McLaren, where they've done nothing. Yeah, it's a, uh, and they've got a big rebuild to do now with Toro Rosso. And it's a fascinating take. A little humor that went on over there. <laughs> yes, I'll you, tell you, you about that. you this interview, because it's pretty I funny. I think Kevin will like this one. Yeah, yeah. He, he knows a lot about Japanese manufacturers, so I think you'll see the humor in this one, too. All right, well, Kevin, let's talk some MotoGP, man. What is, uh, overall, just kind of overall, what do you think about the, the season's kicked off? What about today's race? You know, I, I, um, I think we've kind of seen through testing kind of what we expected today. Um, you know, the, the Yamahas have been kind of a consistent struggle throughout testing. They've they found the odd time where they could go quick, but not consistently. The Ducatis, um, similar to last year, the Honda still, still seems to be good for Marquez, maybe not quite as good for Pedrosa, and, and I think that's just down to Mark's talent. Um, the Suzukis have gained a little bit of ground on the guys. Good to see them both running in the top ten until Renz, uh, Renz made a little mistake and slipped down. But, uh, you know, the Aprilia's... Some early season struggles. The KTM's maybe some of the same. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you don't know what you've tried in testing. Yeah, you have. You've probably put it to test from race for race distance, but maybe uh, maybe some issues there was just some parts failures. But I'm not sure. Kevin, I always love it when you're on the show because as a former world champion yourself, you don't hold back. You 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 have your opinions first and foremost. Why can Andy win the race but George can't finish the race? 
<laughs> I, uh, I I said I said that somebody asked that question at, at Circuit of the Americas today, right after we watched the race, and I said um, I'm sure George wants to be on the first plane out of here to try and get to wherever the next race is and, and get away from people asking that South very, America, that, yeah, that very, <laughs> make a bolt for South America that quickly. Very question because it's uh, you know it looms large. Anybody that watches racing, uh, you know I. I was in a pick uh, with some people today, and Lorenzo was available when I picked fourth, and I didn't pick him fourth, and I didn't pick him my next pick either. So, oh, wow. Um, <laughs> you know, but I was definitely tempted because I, he's been good in testing certain places. Um, you know, I, I, I described it today. I think it's just a different motorcycle to ride, and Dovey's been on it long enough. He knows what to do and how to do it. And I still say Dovey's the best at, at getting to the front of a race, not necessarily the very front, but getting there and doing as little as he can to stay in contention, and at five to go, he drops a hammer. And that's mm. what he did today, and he took a half a second, started taking a half a second lap out of what those times, and it, and it, and it demolished Zarco, and it demolished most of the rest of the other two, or other three or four guys that were there. Rossi was able to hang on, um, not not right there, but he stayed pretty close until the end. I, the, the only reason I asked the question was that Jorge Lorenzo, I'm a big fan, he's a two-time world champion, he's done it all, um, he was meant to be the big bright hope last year, and it didn't happen, and we spent most of season last year talking about, well, eventually, because he's finicky with a bike, he'll get to grips with it. And here we are with a brand new season, and he's starting in the worst possible way. You know, w- watching that onboard camera of the crash, uh, it's difficult to say what happened. Did he hit a false neutral? Did the clutch dissing? You know, mm. m- so many things electronically that could have happened as well. Um, and and to ride a bike at the level that you got to ride him at, you got to be one hundred percent confident in what it is that you're on. And you know, I'm sure there's just a little bit of doubt in uh, in in George's head that uh, that he's got exactly what the four has yeah fair <laughs> enough you mentioned something about the bike that the dovey's riding it's you know that's a little different or that it, he knows it best what what makes it different what is it do you think that that makes it special and different and well and i, I can only make the comparison because i've never ridden a ducati well yeah. I, I have but not it not in anger um i can only go but by what we we've struggled with at Suzuki having Iannone on the bike and having him say, this isn't what the Ducati does. You know, it needs to do this. It needs to do that. Well, I think the Ducati being the bike that seems to have always have a top speed advantage, uh, definitely a little more power, a little more acceleration, whatever it might be. It's a bike that you can get away with being more aggressive in, slowing it down a little bit more, stopping it in the middle, firing it, standing it up off the edge of the tires, you don't destroy a tire and um, make it something that lasts throughout the race. You know, with such a small selection on tires, you know, there there used to be six Michelins or eight Michelins when we raced. Yeah, here, Yamaha guys will probably ride one, Honda guys will ride another, Suzuki guys will use this, and who knows what else. But now with just three tires, um, you know, sometimes you've got to go with what's not exactly working. Perfect, yeah. You know, it's not perfect for the race scenario. And I think, um, you know, the Professor Davicioso has figured that out better than anybody. I think that's interesting you mentioned that because the commentators with Yamaha were saying that, hey, Rossi's going to be worried about this last third because he was worried about the front end all weekend uh, and he doesn't think it's going to last and he doesn't think he'll be able to push and yet he still made the podium. So did that surprise... And, of course, at the end, um, Vinales was going gangbusters towards the end. So both of them, for the race. Yeah, yeah, both of them got the tires to work whether whether they were the right choice or the, the perfect choice for them well and I, you know it's it's one more thing that, that i heard petrucci talking about in the press conference and it's like how dirty is this place and i mean you watch somebody <laughs> yeah. not in d- dead in line with somebody else move out and there's yeah. dust 
you know, th- th- that is something that's so easy to give away 25 points the first race of the year. And I'm sure Maverick and Rossi both know how easy that can happen. And, and I mean, everybody out there realizes that offline a little bit, you really better watch out. But, um, yeah, it was interesting that, that it took Yamaha a little while, but they finally, you know, it's not like you can make any adjustments to those bikes. Yeah, you can change the maps a little bit and you can do a few things, but you're not going to change preload or rebound or compression dampening or anything like that. So the bike's handling is obviously pretty close because as it uh, as the bikes got lighter on fuel, I mean, Vignales was setting fastest lap of the race there those last four or five laps. I want to play a clip and I want you all to listen to Andrea DeVizioso, the, his, his confidence He's obviously yeah. just one, right? But his confidence is so high and he's so relaxed. Let's hear from Andrea Divisioso. Yes, it was a perfect race. Perfect weekend. We worked very well. Uh, we did everything in a perfect way. I, I, like I expected, there was a lot of fast riding in the race. But we managed in a perfect way with a really bad start, but uh, was calm. I recovered very slowly and saved a lot of the, a lot of the tires. And I was able to push at the end, but uh, at the end the tire was finished like everybody. So it was very difficult. And like always with Mark, uh, it's very difficult the last lap, but I was able to, to, to beat him again. And I'm so happy. And we have to win in this track after the three second position. So... Really thank you to the team. Uh, we work very well during the winter test. That is uh, very important. Kevin, you've been there. What, do you, what, what was going through his head? Yeah, absolutely. Ryder with just beaming with confidence. You know, grateful the team, grateful off-season testing went so well. Uh, you know, everything was great. And, yeah, I, I, I kept track on what those guys were doing. It, it necess- wasn't necessarily great for him every day, but obviously the headway they were making, the progress they were picking up on thing, different things that they were testing and trying, they know they can go to different places with different stuff now and make it work. And, um, you know, like he said, they've been second there two or three times now, and to get that, that next step up on the podium was, was big for them. Yeah, and I've forgotten the fact that, of course, he did have a bad start, and that is always a case, uh, and you know better than anybody, um, if you make a bad start in a MotoGP race, you can waste a lot of tire getting back up to the front, um, but luckily he didn't. Yeah, and I think um, if you see the front not just disappearing from you, you know, the front of the field, you know, even though you might be sixth or seventh or eighth, um, you know, it's it's better just to take time than dive up the inside and use a bunch of front tire, use a bunch of grip up because it seemed like the front was mostly what everybody was concerned about. The Hondas used the hard rear. Uh, I think everybody else used mediums, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was a great race. Lots of strategy throughout the thing. It was interesting to me to see that there was early on they were almost a line, a f- constant line from front to back then it got split up a little bit and then the top six went and then when uh, when Dovey got to the front he started making them he upped the pace you know dropped it by half second a lap and that uh, that narrowed him down it's also interesting and you know the commentators were saying it's a bit like a, a moto g uh, you know a, a, a moto three race because it was so close but when i look at the top 10 from jack miller on a ducati on a privateer ducati all the way with the anonis on the suzuki yamaha ducati honda all represented um, that's a, that's good for the sport to see so many different manufacturers and not a breakaway by one particular bike yeah, I mean, very interesting, and I, I think even, well, just as interesting was qualifying. If you take Nakagami out of the equation, it was 1.8 seconds front to back. Wow. Yeah. And, and add him, and then it's 2.3 because he was a half second off off 23rd spot. Um, not not to not to single Nakagami out for being slow. His first yeah, yeah. year on a MotoGP bike, that's great. But the field in, in less than three seconds, it, it used to be three seconds covered two rows. 
you know, yeah. factory mm-hmm. bikes were a huge advantage. And, you know, now we're seeing everybody. And, and, and every, one of the questions I got asked at, at Coda today was, what, what happened to Zargo? How do you go from being so fast to eighth? I said, well, you know, the, the pace elevates. And I said, the field being that close in times, even in race times, you know, just one little problem, and you start to miss a mark, miss your marks in a corner or something. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're on a sh- short rope to the back. Yeah, so. and, and just, just him not treating his tires properly with a tight field like that. You know, even if it's just a little bit, that can make a dramatic difference where he ends up like that. And, and I, I think, you know, as a, as a racer, for me, it was always nice to follow. You know, I struggled to try and get in front and go away. Um, but yeah, I think Zarco sh- should watch that video and realize. You know, being at the front for 15 or 18 laps until yeah. the hammer got dropped probably wasn't the spot to be. I'm still I'm, I'm still fairly new to this, you know, is, is what he should think to himself. And I still need to learn a little bit of racecraft. Uh, and that's one of the things um, that the 46 is so good about. Rossi just manages the race as best he possibly can with what he's got. And he realizes as it starts to come to a close whether he's got something for him or not. All right, guys. We're talking about him off the bright. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. You're listening to Kevin Schwantz, world champ. And we're live here in Austin back after these messages. Augusta motorcycles are the epitome of Italian style, precisely crafted with a passion for two-wheel art on wheels. Ducati Austin are the only MV Augusta and Ducati factory authorized technicians in Austin, servicing all European brands. Check the Brutali Sport Naked, the most extreme essential naked bike ever. Or the Turismo Veloce 800, the first revolutionary tourer to be built by MV Augusta. Or if you want a pedigree steeped in racing, then look no further than the World Supersport winning triple F3, 675 and 800. Or go all out for the ultimate legendary F4 MV Augusta. Italian style with Texas soul. Trade-in, consignments welcome and financing available. To Caddy Austin and the home of MV Augusta at 818 Breaker Lane, just east of I-35. Mosing Motor Cars is Texas's only authorized dealer for Superformance products. Superformance's Mark III is the only Cobra replica built under license from Carroll Shelby. There's no finer example of a Cobra around. Mosing and Superformance is your supplier for all the great race cars of history. The GT40, the Mark III Cobra, the Corvette Grand Sport, and the Shelby Cobra Daytona Coupe. Mosing Motor Cars, 2420 West Breaker Lane, online at mosingmotorcars.com. Superformance and Mosing Motor Cars. Drive yourself happy. Dirtfish Rally School is the nation's most prestigious driving school, offering seven days a week, year-round driver education from 15-year-olds with no driving experience to amateur racers and professional drivers. Our professional instructors never judge a student based on who they are, where they're from, or their driving background. We'll keep you and your family safe on the road, or better, at the racetrack. Feel confident behind the wheel, no matter the situation, no matter what you've done, or where you've done it, or how well you've done it. We'll make you better. Thanks for making the right choice. I don't know where I would get the truth if it weren't for you. Talk 1370. Hi, I'm Mike Brewer from Wheeler Dealers on Velocity Channel, and this is Speed City. Welcome back to Speed City, presented by Mosing Motor Cars. 
forgot about old Mike Brewer. He came to Austin. I, I forgot how British people speak. <laughs> Hello, I'm Mike Brewer. That's because you've been in Texas for a oh, decade yeah. now. Hell. <laughs> All right, we are very excited to have Kevin Schwantz back in the studio here, and we've been talking MotoGP and... You know, what about some of the other stories? We talked about Jorge and we talked about Divisioso, but what about some of the other stories today that caught your eye, Kevin? Well, I, you know, first and foremost, I always look to see where the Suzuki's are and to see them um, contending, you know, near the front. Anyway, uh, Ren's up as far as six before he had a little mishap and Iannone hmm. starting further up than that and then trickling back to ninth or tenth. Uh, I think tenth is where he ended up finishing. It looks like they've made some progress and uh, it's good to see because I think the more manufacturers we have up there competing, uh, just the better the championship's going to be. Uh, interesting to see. Uh, Aprilia and KTM with some some early season woes, um, but you know it, it's MotoGP racing. It's at, it's it's at the very top level, and you know, you're going to have those those kind of weekends. I want to ask you about uh, Johan Zarco because when you arrived at MotoGP, you, you know you pretty much took the took the place by storm, and he kind of did that last year. Uh, last year was a good example. He led for six laps, then fell. Uh, to this this weekend, uh, he led for a long time, got a, a lap record in qualifying. He's not a factory Yamaha, but the Tech Three Tech Trois team have done a very good job of producing a really good bike. Um, what's your take on him? I mean, is he the next big thing? Do you think? You know, I think I think Zarco has done a great job since his first ride on a MotoGP bike, and um, you know, I, I feel like Qatar was a place where he was, you know, probably feeling like he wanted wanted a bit of revenge from what happened to him last yeah. year. You know, the track snuck up and got me, or uh, whatever we think as riders. Um, but I, I think what he needs to learn is a little bit of racecraft. He needs to he needs to go back and watch the video from Qatar and realize how many laps he was out front setting the pace, trying to lose those guys. You try for two or three laps, that doesn't happen. Then get back in with get back in the group with them. Let somebody else lead, because every lap that you're hustling off in that first turn a little bit deeper than you need to be, and you're asking a little bit more of those tires, is all grip that you're not going to have left at the end of the race. And uh, I think that's why he slid back as dramatically as he did uh, once Dovey got to the front and took a half second out of everybody. And going from the, the relative new boy, I want to talk about the old boy because you mentioned Rossi before and about how he is really good now at 38, uh, 39 going on. Uh, he's great uh, at managing what he's got. Uh, uh, you know, I, I just want to get your take on how Rossi has adapted to the modern era. And, and I say the modern era because he's been through so many, uh, but he's managed to maintain, and you know how hard it is when the bikes change, when the era changes, Marquez comes in, starts leaning like nobody's business and starts winning, but he's managed to stay relative all along what is it do, do you admire how he's adapted to be able to stay at the top I, I mean absolutely to to go from riding a 500 like he did and winning on a 500 to learn in the electronic era to see what you know riding a four strokes like learning what a four stroke learning what launch control learning what wheelie control spin control all the different things that they have now and being able to adapt your style i mean i think about seven or eight years ago he had to completely change his riding style mm. over the over the mm. off season to learn how to ride hanging off of a bike further because, you know, the, the, the lower and the further hung off the bike the guys are getting, you're not needing to stay on top of the motorcycle anymore to try and control it. Get off the inside, let the electronics go to work, try and pull the thing around the corner more. Um, you know, to, to do something like that and be able to change your style to, to adapt to something so different that's something that's been so extreme for so long, 
to me is I, I said the other day they're going to have to make him a Superman set of leathers for somewhere. I think he's, he's <laughs> he deserving of that. Another two years <laughs> we've got of the era. I, and, I mean, it's good for the sport. And, and this sport, as you well know, is uh, everybody harps back to your era and some of, the, you know, some of the great races that we saw. But I think sometimes it's rose-colored because, yeah, you guys did your thing and you had your rivalries with Wayne and, and everybody else, Nettie and all that lot. But... We've got, like you say, the top ten today, great rivalry, great characters, and we've got an absolute megastar and probably one of the greatest of all time in Valentino. So this is another golden era, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I, I regret not ever getting to race against him because I think it would have, uh, it would have been fun. He's, uh, he's that guy that can, can do absolutely anything on a motorcycle. Well, I guess except right off road, like he got hurt doing last year. <laughs> um, but yeah, to watch him and, and to you know to see him with his struggles throughout the weekend, only qualifying eighth, and uh, he was he was in the in the pick, and uh, I took him as my second pick, so I was first and third today. You know, that's Ke- not bad. It's so classic that Kevin is such a competitor, champion. <laughs> he has wants to, to race against you know, the best of the best. You know, it's, wished I could have. Don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good distinction there. <laughs> well, listen, obviously you mentioned the Circle of the Americas. Um, we'll be there in April uh, for the MotoGP, as you will, I'm sure. And we look forward to having you back in the booth again. But um, you were up at the watch party today. Um, is there a big excitement about the season ahead, the fans here in Austin, and obviously the rest of the world coming to Austin, um, you know, in, in literally a few weeks' time? You know, there always is. You know, to, to Circuit of the Americas is is one of the one of the best facilities anywhere in the world. And to... Uh, to have it right here in the in the city of Austin uh, is is pretty special. So when everybody starts showing up, hopefully they'll come straight after Argentina, and we'll be able to have a week to play around with some of the guys and maybe go dirt bike riding. Or, That'll be fun. Ah, I probably can't do that. Um, <laughs> bicycle no, no, riding that won't or, be happening officially. Yeah, dirt tracking or um, yeah, all those things that they're probably not allowed to do anymore. Uh, but to get to get you know the fastest motorcycle racers in the world to, to have them at the track, to have them in town, to have them see the city of Austin, I think is uh, is really special. Yeah, really. Um, one more I want to ask you about. Cal Crutchlow. Um, <laughs> he's the nearly man of the last mm, six years. I, I've grown <laughs> to love and hate him. And I, and I say that because I've known him since he was 15. And he is a great character. He's great to watch. He's, you know, he reminds me a lot of your attitude when you were racing, which is whatever you give him, he will rag it to the, to the very end <laughs> and risk it all too. Uh, I mean, he will, he's prepared to crash even, he's ahead, prepared to go beyond the limits as Marquez is. Uh, and it, you know, catches him out, but that's, so you admire that about Crutchlow, but we all, I also think that he's got the talent to go better. Do you think he's got the equipment now to, to show that talent now? You know, I, I think he's had the equipment for a couple of years and I think he's starting to understand the equipment a bit better. Okay. Um, I, I feel like uh, Chechenello and that team, uh, the Crutchlow's crew chief, uh, is a guy who used to work on the team when I back when I was racing. So the guy's got tons of experience. He's been mm. around forever. <laughs> it, yeah. it worked for me, huh? <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I, I think Cal is uh, is that guy that that just lacks that little bit of speed to to get there in qualifying, and then seems like he's got to try and work his way through there, and. Uh, you know, I, it, there's a, a, a switch that could flip any minute and make Cal just a consistent front runner. And I, I really would like to see that because as far as training and work goes, work ethic goes, he's one of the, he's one of the top guys out there. Mm, no question. You, know, you were talking about the Ducati. Everybody talks about the Ducati having the top speed, and I'm certain it does. But I did notice at the very end of the race, after the last corner, when he jumped out ahead of Marquez, 
it wasn't it wasn't dramatic. He didn't just take off away from him. It was a pretty subtle difference, you know. Yeah. And I don't know. Is that just? I know that seems uh, everybody talks about it, but it didn't look as fast. Didn't look that much faster than the Honda. You know, it definitely didn't look as significant as it did last year. Yeah. I, the the comparison that I made on speed went off the qualifying sheet. Redding, Petrucci, I mean, all the Ducatis were 340-something, and most everybody else was in the 330. So, um, you hmm. know, and that could be where the, the, the top speed thing is set up. Maybe the Ducati is a better bike on the brakes, and they're going further into that mark uh, before they start grabbing the brakes and getting over that line with just a little bit more momentum. So, I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, yeah, the acceleration wasn't, uh, wasn't near yeah. as different as it was last year. One thing I want to get you on right at the start of the season, because I think it's a story that's going to develop, and I've already mentioned Johan Zarco, but Tech 3, um, who've been with Yamaha forever, have pulled out of that or have decided to end that relationship um, and looks as though they're going to KTM. But what about Johan? What's going to happen to Zarco? You know, I, I don't I don't know what his contract reads. Um, yeah, I would assume that, that Zarco was on a one year maybe a two-year deal probably a two-year deal because i think had he not been on a two-year deal tech three would have struggled to keep him yeah i think somebody some manufacturer some factory would have would have found a spot to to put him as good as he rode last year Hmm. does he just automatically transfer over to the ktm thing I, i have no idea um you know the best response i've heard is zarko himself Somebody asked him, what's going to happen next year? He says, well, I don't care. It's this year that I'm worried about. That's, yeah, it's the right so, attitude. All right, guys, we got to take a break. But speaking of Circuit of the Americas, next weekend, the Pirelli World Challenge. And right after the break, we have a young driver who's going to come on the show who's going to be here in Austin. Scott Hargrove is coming on next. But before, I mean, Kevin's going to stay with us. And I want to talk Moto2, Moto3 before the end of the yeah, show, too. Yeah, Joe Roberts. And stick with us because we also have that interview with Brendan Hartley that we did yesterday. So we got a bunch coming up after the break. Stick with us. You're listening to Speed City live in Austin. The racetrack. It's where legends are born, where only the finest machines earn their reputation for innovation and dominance. Such are the nameplates you'll find at Aston Martin of Austin, Lotus of Austin, Bentley Austin, and Rolls-Royce Motorcars. Austin exotic, iconic automobiles, whose racing heritage turns everyday driving into an inspiring journey, because you're never just along for the ride. Highway 183 north of McNeil Road. Dirtfish Rally School is the nation's most prestigious driving school, offering seven days a week, year-round driver education from 15-year-olds with no driving experience to amateur racers and professional drivers. Our professional instructors never judge a student based on who they are, where they're from, or their driving background. We'll keep you and your family safe on the road, or better, at the racetrack. Feel confident behind the wheel, no matter the situation, no matter what you've done, or where you've done it, or how well you've done it, we'll make you better. Hey, it's Patrick Lindsay driving the Park Place Motorsports Porsche, and this is Speed City. Welcome back to Speed City. Presented by Mosing Motor Cars. 
All right, we're sitting with Kevin Schwantz in studios, John Massengill, Jonathan Green, but we have a, a young race driver on the phone that's going to be right here in Austin at our little old Circuit of the Americas out in Elroy. <laughs> our little old circuit. <laughs> our little old, just a little bit, three and a half mile Formula One 3.4, track. just like the 34. <laughs> there you go. So, Scott Hargrove, welcome to Speed City. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, are you getting excited about coming to our little town and our little racetrack? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's going to be my first time there, actually. Uh, in all the years I've been racing, traveling around North America, I've never been there, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, that's a, that's a, makes it an interesting question, then. So what have you heard? What have, what have people in your world said about Coda? Well, the, the most I know about it is from watching all the Formula One races on TV. I mean, even, you know, I watched straight from the first one. And uh, I always thought it looked like a phenomenal track. And, and of course, the tower uh, is the thing that everybody always comes and talks about. Uh, turn one, and the, the hill up to turn one, and then the tower to go and view the track. So between those two things, I think there's some pretty unique characteristics that uh, I look forward to. And hopefully have some time to even go up there and check it out myself. Well, you know, I always I got to ask you, um, Kevin Schwantz wants to ask you a question, but I want to ask you one real quick is that, I know that you sit there, you watch the Formula One race, and you see these, you know, heroes of all of us, and it's got to be exciting to get to say, I'm going on that same racetrack. Absolutely. It is. It is, for sure. And and I've actually been fortunate enough to race uh, the other Formula One circuit, like uh, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve in Montreal. Uh, nice. Of course, you know, me being a Canadian was pretty cool for me, so... Uh, it's, it's not going to be the first time, but obviously every time you go to a, a track that's got that much recognition, it just adds extra attention, extra, an extra little uh, boost on the weekend. Well, we have uh, the, the gentleman who helped sketch out this racetrack is sitting, yeah. sitting <laughs> on right a napkin. On a, on a napkin. Uh, he and Tavo Hellman, I guess, together sketched that thing out, and he's sitting here and smiling, grinning ear to ear, or listening to people talk about his, his baby. But but the Pirelli World <laughs> Challenge, man, we got that coming up next uh, next weekend. And so, But yeah, apparently you had a pretty good weekend last weekend at St. Pete. Yeah, yeah, I'd say I'm excited is, uh, is an understatement. I mean, so St. Pete was the first weekend for myself in Pearly Road Challenge and for my team, Fast Motorsports. And, you know, to uh, you know, a Canadian driver and a Canadian team coming down and racing uh, at St. Petersburg, uh, we we knew we were going to be competitive. Uh, you don't really know where in the field you're going to be, you know, when it's your first weekend. But uh, I think everybody was pretty confident. And then, uh, yeah, we were quick in practice and then, of course, I, I was trying to put it on pole position for, for the first race and because um, yeah, I knew we had the speed and I, I made a bit of a mistake and <laughs> put the car into the wall, a classic St. Petersburg uh, mistake. So the team, we had to rebuild the car frantically and got it done 10 minutes before the race. I started at the back and lo and behold, we ended up sweeping the weekend winning both races. <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't ask for much better than that. Uh, I, I was watching Moto3. Uh, and talked to the crew chief for George Martin, and Martin did yeah. the same thing. Sunday morning warm-up threw the thing down the racetrack, and they <laughs> struggled to get it back together. But that's the neat thing about race teams, good quality race teams, is they can put right back underneath you what it was that you had before. So good job, guys. Exactly. Yeah, thank you. Well, I, you know, you do have the guy who uh, helped design the track. If you want to ask him any secrets, yeah, any, any subtleties, <laughs> any subtleties, exactly. If you want to ask him, but... for God's sake, turn left at the end of uh, the straight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, where do I do at the top of the hill? <laughs> <laughs> Close your eyes. It, looks, <laughs> it's, uh, it looks pretty fun. I've been doing it a lot on the simulator, uh, on iRacing, and 
And uh, it seems like you can take a million different lines to turn one, and they all they all kind of work. But uh, interesting, I'm out there climbing the hill and not really knowing exactly how far you have to turn left to make that to make that hairpin. Nice, nice wide place. Lots of runoff. Um, you know, if you get in somewhere and don't seem to be able to make it, don't force it. Just, I mean, especially on a on a motorcycle, you just stand. I was going to say stand it up, but in a car you don't. Just go ahead and use the rest of the track that's there. Yeah, I'm going to say, unlike St. Yeah. Pete, you've got plenty. It's a, bit more, it's a bit more forgiving. But don't do a Verstappen. Yeah, think- I'll give you this advice. Don't do a Verstappen because they've <laughs> now, I think, they haven't increased the curbs yet, but they're going to on the inside of the tower between 16, 17, and 18 because Verstappen tried okay. to get sneaky up the inside in the Formula 1 and they didn't like it much. Oh, I remember all the drama with that, and uh, and I did see the article saying they were gonna, going to increase the curbs there. So nice, nice to know it's not done yet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <you know. laughs> I'm sure Marquez will want to know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think our race, hopefully our race control is a little less strict and less people watching. We'll maybe we'll get away with one. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> hey, Scott, I got to ask you. I was reading your bio, and it says your your racing career started the day you were born. <laughs> it says Scott watched the Formula One race from his father's arms in the hospital. That's a pretty cool what? story. So where did it go from there? <laughs> Yeah, well, like I'm like that says, my my dad was really the, the motivation behind it, and he was always into racing. Being the uh, president of the sports car club at the University University of British Columbia when he was growing up, and and so he's always been around it. And naturally, when I was born, I was kind of placed right into it. And then he has uh, he has two sports cars that he's been running in the Sports Car Club of America for a number of years, and I mean, I was always at the track helping him where I could. I mean. Mind you, I was quite little at the time, but I, I would do the best I could and try try and be helpful, but mostly be in the way. And then uh, when I was, I think I was 13 years old, I finally convinced him to get me into a go-kart. That's good. And after that. I was going to say, how much did your mother argue? But now I realize that she probably didn't, knowing if, if your father was doing that, I'm looking across here at Kevin Schwantz, and I know his parents very well. And, you know, it was almost destined because they were involved in racing too. And I think if you come from a family that has that racing uh, tradition, I think it's a little easier because mom doesn't argue too much, right? Similarities that I no. hear, the similarities that I hear there, Scott, was trying to stay out of the way because most of the time when I tried to help there was I was doing nothing but getting in the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. When you're little you want to do everything you can, right? But it usually makes things worse. <laughs> but for sure my my mom is pretty funny because uh, I think I think going skiing is more she's more nervous for me when I go skiing than I do in the race car. <laughs> It's more dangerous. Mm. <laughs> I hate snow skiing. I, I hate it. Every, I've hurt my knee. Everybody gets somebody gets hurt snow skiing. I'd, I'd rather do motorsports. It's safer. <laughs> Fair enough. Me too. <laughs> well, Scott, talk about your career. I, I was reading in, on your Twitter feed. It talks about how you made a spectacular switch to sports cars this year with a couple of victories, uh, like we mentioned at St. Pete. But talk about before that. Yeah, so I've been racing in the road to Indy, trying to make my way up to Indy cars ever since 2012 was my first year there. And so that me that was a USF 2000 championship, ProMaster, and Andy Light. So I raced all of those. One um, in ProMaster and USF 2000 was on the podium in Indy Light. And so that, that was looking really promising. Uh, but at the same time, I had an opportunity to actually race in the Canadian Porsche GT3 Cup uh, in 2014. And that was just so going to be a one-off weekend where I was just going to hop in the car, um, you know, still doing the open wheel stuff. And it just turned into, uh, it turned into a race win on my first weekend, similar to what we just did this weekend, or last weekend in St. Petersburg. 
And after that, I've just been running these cars parallel to the open wheel side. So it's not actually my debut in sports cars. It's just my debut in sports cars in the United States. Well, awesome. Well, we want to make sure to uh, tell everybody what you're, you know, to, to look for next weekend here at Coda, your car, your team, and everything else. Yeah, so we're Fast Motorsports in a Porsche 911 GT3R. Um, to follow along on my Instagram for the best way to follow me, I'm uh, Scott underscore Hargrove. Uh, I'll be posting all, all uh, this weekend, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a new challenge for me, of course. This weekend, we're doing a Sprint X format, which is with the driver changes. And oh, cool. me being a sprint racing guy, uh, that's something new. So I'm excited about that. Well, that's awesome. Well, we are very excited. Tell everybody to go to circuitofamericas.com, get their tickets, and get out there because it's a fun weekend. At, it's a great weekend. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a great – the Pearly World Challenge is really fun. Scott Hargrove, thanks for coming on Speed City, man. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay. Talk good to luck. you soon. Good luck, Scott. <clears throat> That's a mighty fine car he's driving. I know you did some Super Cup uh, after you left, for, after you finished racing uh, bikes, you went and did some uh, Porsche. It's, car, it's a fun car to drive. Doesn't matter, does it? Kind of, it's, it's kind of tough to get a feel for, but yeah, absolutely. Very, uh, very exciting to, to, to try and wheel around a racetrack. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, let's go. I want to take a break early because after this break, we're going to play that interview that we got with Brendan Hartley. Oh, yeah. Yesterday, very fascinating. A couple things in there because he talks about the new relationship with Honda and uh, and lots more, including the races he want, he's looking forward to. So uh, we're going to play that up after this break. Listen to Speed City live in Austin. Back after these messages. The Augusta motorcycles are the epitome of Italian style, precisely crafted with a passion for two-wheel art on wheels. Ducati Austin are the only MV Augusta and Ducati factory authorized technicians in Austin, servicing all European brands. Check the Brutali Sport Naked, the most extreme essential naked bike ever. Or the Turismo Veloce 800, the first revolutionary tourer to be built by MV Augusta. Or if you want a pedigree steeped in racing, then look no further than the World Supersport winning triple F3, 675 and 800. Or go all out for the ultimate legendary F4 MV Augusta. Italian style with Texas soul. Trade-in, consignments welcome and financing available. Ducati Austin and the home of MV Augusta at 818 Breaker Lane, just east of I-35. Bozing Motor Cars is Central Texas' source for classic performance cars. British, German, Italian, Japanese, and American. Ready for that special car you've always dreamed of? Bozing has you covered. Looking to sell a classic? Let Mosing handle all the details and get that special vehicle in the hands of the right buyer. Visit the showroom at 2420 Westbreaker Lane or call 512-821-9491. Or browse the garage online at MosingMotorCars.com. Mosing Motor Cars. Drive yourself happy. The right choice for breaking news first. Talk 1370. The right choice. Hi, this is Ryan DeLg, and this is Speed City. Welcome back to Speed City, presented by Mosing Motor Cars. Welcome back to Speed City. 
Jonathan, I want you to set up this interview with Brendan Hartley because it goes into another little uh, interview that we're going to play about your buddy, Sasha. And I know he's the one that did the interview. Yeah. Um, well, I got an opportunity out of the blue in some ways um, because, as you know, uh, McLaren and Honda had a very public and uh, traumatic relationship over the last few years in Formula One. Honda have now gone to Toro Rosso, um, which is interesting because I've been saying for however long that I thought the Honda eventually would get it right. They didn't with McLaren. McLaren have now gone to Renault. But Red Bull, who also have Renault, um, are now looking at their sister company, Toro Rosso, to see how Honda develops. And so Brennan Hartley, meanwhile, is in his first full season of Formula One, trying out, um, you know, or trying, trying to get Toro Rosso up the front of the field, but now with a Honda package in the back. And of course, Brennan came here to Austin for his first race last year. Uh, and so he's got a completely different package, uh, but they launched the car in Tokyo on the way to Australia, which will be next weekend, of course. So I got an opportunity to get the Japanese reporter to interview him effectively on our behalf. And this guy's not just any Japanese. He's like, kind of like the voice yeah, of motorsport he, he over there. He is the voice it? of motorsport in uh, Super GTs and so on. I've seen him in Japan when I've been there. Great guy. Uh, Sasha, his name is, and I hope to have him on the show. In fact, uh, we'll have him on the show as much as we can so we can get a Japanese perspective on motor racing, both two-wheel and four-wheel, because it's always interesting. And I want to ask Kevin a little bit about this later, but let's hear what Brendan has to say about being effectively a world champion from Porsche in WEC, now moving to Formula One, his dream with the team that originally picked him up, which is Red Bull, but now with Toro Rosso and a massive factory like Honda, who are desperate for success in Formula One. Um, so, how is the car compared to last year's car? Um, yeah, I guess the, the rules haven't changed so much. So, visually, the biggest difference is the halo, which has been a hot, which has been a hot topic. Um, I think there's been some talk from the outside that people, you know, they're not used to it yet. But from inside the car, it's almost invisible for us, for us drivers. We, we look, we look through it. Um, getting in and out is a little bit more complicated. But apart from this, the rules haven't changed so much from last year. So the cars feel very similar, uh, with a little bit more downforce because it's, you know, the evolution never stops in Formula One. They're always striving to, to be quicker, faster, lighter. Um, and obviously we have a different engine in the back with the new Honda and so far that performed really well we were really happy with how the testing went reliability was good and, and so was drivability so it was a very positive start and they've got some ambitious targets to improve during the year and, uh, but yeah I was, I, I was anyway feeling a lot more comfortable than last year I had more time to prepare and I can't wait to get the season started So did McLaren leave Honda too early? What's your, um, what's your point? It's a great question, and, and I, I wouldn't want to speak on McLaren's behalf, but all I can say is that that uh, Tor also is, is so, so happy to, to be uh, partnered with, with Honda, to be uh, solely supplied by an engine manufacturer is, is a huge benefit. It comes along with a lot of uh, resource, and, and, uh, and it's, it's a huge opportunity. And, and so far, the, the relationship has been only positive, and, and uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's not only a huge, huge opportunity for me, but also... For, for so, uh, how proud are you as a Kiwi, you know, besides uh, former Bulls and Palmer's Northman, Chris Almond, and also, you know, Bruce McLaren, Denny Holm to be in the Formula One? Yeah, I'm, I'm a really proud Kiwi, and, and I think any any Kiwi who's traveled abroad um, becomes very patriotic. Um, and uh, I'm very aware of, of the, the huge history we have in motorsport. Um, and also in Formula One. 
and I'm proud to be one of many, many New Zealanders competing internationally in motorsport. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm now the only one who's made it to Formula One in, in the past uh, 20 odd years. But I know that, that I know how much success all the others have had as well, with the likes of Scott Dixon or Mitch Evans. Or I mean, honestly, there's there's so many competing internationally, Hayden Patton and, and Rally, and so I'm I'm really proud of that, and I'm and I'm proud to be uh, representing and, and flying the flag with with all the others. So, uh, who will Toro Rosso realistically be fighting this season, and what goals are you, did you set? For the full season, for the first full season. We're definitely fighting in the in, in the midfield, and uh, the goal is to continue improving during the season. So I think it was it was a really promising start in testing, and the goal has to be points in the early in the early part of the season. I'm yet to score my first Formula One point, so that has to be my first goal. And once that's achieved, then uh, obviously the goals will, uh, will, will will keep changing as the season goes. Um, but I think the, ma the main target as well is to, to improve during the season. We, we know that the beginning might be a bit tough, um, but, but the goal is to, to really have a big push and improve uh, for the end of the season. So can you believe that you finally got the chance in Formula One after, you know, your Red Bull Junior and Mercedes simula simulator work didn't get you to the opportunity? Um, Yeah, I stopped. I stopped pinching myself already. I, I know that the, the the dream came true. Um, it's been a long road, and uh, I, I had an opportunity 10 years ago with with, uh, with Red Bull. It didn't it didn't work out, but Red Bull was really the ones that, that well, Red Bull was was the they, sorry, Red Bull gave me the opportunity all those years ago. Uh, from the age of 15, I left home. I left New Zealand, and that was all because of Red Bull. And uh, 2008, I came. In 2009, I became very close to being a Red Bull driver, but I lost my head. I didn't perform well. I, I was unhappy, and, and I learned so much from this experience. And uh, 10 years later, to be given another opportunity with Red Bull is, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. And I'm, and I'm looking forward to making the most of it and proving to everyone I deserve to stay in Formula One. Final question: Which Grand Prix should we look to you to excel, or which are you most looking forward to? I'm looking forward to Melbourne because I'm expecting there'll be a few New Zealanders there making the trip over and, and, and supporting me, which is which is going to be amazing. Um, I'm looking forward to Monaco. I'll get to wake up in my own apartment. Um, all the daily routines, you know, of, of sleeping in your own bed and. and uh, Yeah, making my own coffee in the morning, all these things, it's, that, that's going to be nice. And th But there's a lot of others I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to Singapore, one of the most physical tracks on the calendar, another street track, Montreal as well. Everyone, everyone talks about Montreal. So there's a lot of new tracks for me that I'm looking forward to. Yeah. I'm a fan of Brendan Hartley, man. We've, oh, yeah. We've known him since he came to Austin here in 12, 13, I yeah. guess it was. He's the three-time winner here. Yeah, in, that's, in right, that's right. And a world champion. That's what I like about Brendan is he's coming late at 27 to Formula One, but he's already been in world endurance. He's been in the in the the in some of the most sophisticated racing in the world. Mark Webber as a teammate. I mean, this is not a guy who's going to be... You can tell he's ready for this. He's ready to work with Honda. His feedback, listening to him on the radio in Austin last year at the Formula One was fascinating. He had a problem with the, the helmet coming off. And yeah, he was so yeah. cool, calm and collected in his first ever Grand Prix. But that's because he spent 10 years in world endurance. Yeah. And before that, if you remember, he mentioned Red Bull. He was a junior Red Bull driver. But in between there, he's the guy that did all, did all the simulator work before the Circuit of the Americas was even open for Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, that's do you remember? right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Well, you know, obviously the big story is with Honda. And I want to get Kevin Schwantz's opinion on this because, well, first of all, you got Toro Rosso, you know, a, a, a second-tier team. 
but with the works access to Honda now. Yeah. It's a little bit. Soul works Exactly. Access. So you've got a little bit of a, a, an interesting situation there. But, but Kevin, that's got to be just for a team like that. It's got to be huge for them. And, and especially Honda, like you guys were talking, I think during the break, is it, is that you know Honda's not, not used to failing? Yeah, I'd, I'd love lo- would have loved the opportunity to have uh, to have ridden a Honda because it always seemed like they were in a straight line. They were the fastest motorcycles. Sometimes uh, it seemed like they were a bit finicky to get them to handle. But man, when they got them right, it was just trying to keep them in sight. So to be in a car uh, with Honda power uh, and them trying to come back from a season where uh, it was less than rewarding for them, it's a good spot to be. So I think Brendan's probably looking forward to that. Yeah, and I keep reminding people, and you'll hear it, we talk about it in the podcast with Sasha that uh, you can go online, or we'll we'll tweet it out this week. But, you know, uh, back in the mid-90s, McLaren and Honda, who have just broken up, won 15 out of 16 races with Alain Prost and Ayrton Senna. And it was the most, it was a perfect storm Ron Dennis kind of relationship. And everybody said, oh, McLaren and Honda will never break up. And of course, they come back, they get together, and they didn't. I mean, you heard Alonso for the last three years saying, I cannot drive this. This is like a GP3 car. Uh, and it was pretty public. Uh, and Honda, and that's where I was going with Kevin. You was, know the was Japanese. It, was it a GP3 car or a no, GP3 no, engine? It, <laughs> well, yeah. that's what Alonso was saying on the radio yeah, to yeah. all of us. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you know the Japanese pride, uh, having ridden for Suzuki and having spent a lot of your life over there. You know what it means to fail when they fail. It, it is big news. That's in business, but especially in motorsport. Yeah, I don't think they eat or sleep if they fail. Right. I, you know, I think it's the, the Japanese way uh, from when they're they're young kids, whether it's in school, whether it might wherever it might be. But once you go to work for a manufacturer and you're one of those guys who's in charge of development and making that bike uh, rev 500 more RPM, you know, to, to w- w- without self imploding and and destroying itself. Uh, the responsibilities that they feel, I, I, they really, really do take it to heart. And, um, you know, I, I think that's why the Japanese are so good at producing what they produce. And there's another side to this story, which yeah. is, of course, Red Bull themselves, because Red Bull, again, have been publicly um, castigating Renault as an NF, uh, engine manufacturer for the last few years because they haven't won the world championship. But they've won four times with Renault. So Renault are like, what the heck, you know, and now come back in as a factory team themselves as Renault Formula One. Um, McLaren now have Renault. So let's see how they go. Red Bull still have Renault, but their sister company has a developing works Honda in the back of their car. So <laughs> Renault have said, um, what are you going to be racing next year? Are we developing with you or are you just going to drop us at the end of the year? So they've given them, Renault have given them till May to make a decision right. on whether they want to go with Honda or with Renault. And that's going to be a big story in Formula One this year. Well, let's continue with this whole web of story because <laughs> you had the interview with Sasha. Yep. Where, uh, where he's talking about, well, you introduce it because we did a little clip of it. We have the whole podcast that we put up about an hour ago. Yeah. But we have a little clip, but introduce this. Well, I asked this, the simple question, which is, you know, Kevin just said it, you know, a, a team that is on the bounce back, especially um, uh, a manufacturer the size of Honda. Let's face it, Jensen Button is, is, is racing for Honda in Japan this year in Super GT. This is not a company that does motor racing by halves. They're brilliant at rallycross. They're brilliant um, in touring cars. Honda are huge. IndyCar. IndyCar, yeah. Uh, look what they're doing with Acura. Look what they're doing uh, with the NSX. Yeah. This is not a small company, folks, and I know you know that. So I asked the question, is Toro Rosso in the perfect place to really move up the field with Honda in the back? And uh, this is what Sasha had to say. 
in some ways, the timing is great for Toro Rosso because mm-hmm. Honda may now have finally sorted the problems they've had over, and I want to say the last five years because even though uh, we saw it in three years, it was in development for two. So it, it's been a while. So I think now Honda could probably come to the fore, do you feel? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I, again, about McLaren and Honda, I think McLaren had their way to, you know, they know the way to win. So with the chassis and with the car, you know, we want to build it like this way. So you have to build a power unit which fits into our car. And then Honda, they had their success in the past. So they wanted in their way. But, you know, the Japanese, they they, they really do their best, you know, to, to actually um, – you know, uh, make a, res- uh, a solvement from you know from the problems, but they couldn't reach. I think the the sweet spot in these three years. So, but with Toroso, they're well. As I said, they also had struggled with the uh, Renault relationship last year. So they're totally happy with the new relationship. You know, because they are now uh, have a have a power unit who which builds directly with or you know tightly with the new chassis with the Toro Rosso chassis so they can work uh, together really as a team so that's maybe a really really positive point maybe not in the start of the season but in maybe in the second part of the season it will make boost you know the performance of the team well look, let's turn to the positive because obviously they came to Tokyo and uh, Honda are a massive company and it's a new beginning so tell me about the launch. You hosted it. Um, yes. How was how was it? I mean, what 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 happened? So we did it in the center of Tokyo, uh, in Rapongi. Well, if you know, it's a famous place for nightlife, but it's also now the center spot for also um, sightseeing. And we have these uh, uh, that uh, Rapongi Hills Arena, which is packed with two thousand five hundred people. Well, there were maybe more, but they couldn't get in. So anyway, yeah. it was lots and lots of people, and. Uh, it was an event, a uh, joint event with Toro Rosso, Honda, and Red Bull, uh, who is also the sponsor for Toro Rosso. And so they came first, the BMX and M- uh, mountain bike riders, on, you know, with the slope, jumping around, flipping around. And then the dancers came, who were supported by Red Bull, and they danced in front of the car. And the car just was there, uh, covered, and everybody thought, you know, the car will be unveiled. And suddenly there was three containers in the back, and one container just moved up and just came in uh, above the car and then smashed it. What? By smashing it, an orange um, smoke came out. Well, which is a really uh, nice joke, I think. And then, uh, <laughs> and then uh, the container opened and the new Torosso car came out in front of the public and everybody was surprised. <laughs> so there was a, a little bit of Japanese humor there. I like that. Yeah, yeah. As I said, you know, the the Honda lost, I think, uh, lots and lots of pride, you know, before not from uh, McLaren, but you know, from the situation. So they wanted to regain the pride, and I think that was one of the process to regain the pride from their for their themselves. I think. I love that. I absolutely love that. So a little bit of orange smoke. Uh, just the remnants, of course, uh, McLaren being an orange-coloured car. Um, so, yeah, I think that was Honda. Uh, Japanese humour. There is such a thing. People don't think the Japanese say, have a sense of humour. But that, that is uh, very much the subtle Japanese way of saying, OK, let's have a new era. <laughs> I like it. Well, we're one week out from Formula One. MotoGP's gotten rolling. I'm, it's so exciting right now. And and by the way, we uh, we we have some some big Formula One news we're going to announce next week. So watch our social media and stuff because our coverage of Formula One Wednesday. Gonna- 
Yeah, probably Wednesday we're going to announce that. So we're going to ratchet up our coverage. But before we go, we got Kevin Schwantz here. Uh, what do you have, Jonathan? I, I, exactly. I wanted to ask him his thoughts on Argentina and coming to Coda and, and how you see the beginnings of 2018 panning out. Now you've seen what you've seen today. Moto3, Moto2 races were great. They weren't the big, long field of riders all linked together like we've typically seen. A um, couple guys getting away in a breakaway in Moto3 as as well as in Moto2. Um, I, I think MotoGP was as, you know, was amazing as always, um, <laughs> close until the end. And then Dovey dropped the hammer and everybody went with him that could, but that was a pretty small group. Um, you know, it's going to be as exciting as ever. I think the season's just, you can't do anything but get better. Um, first race, uh, under their belt, difficult conditions for MotoGP at night, uh, mm-hmm. to go to Argentina where I, you know, would always say that's probably the first real race of the year for the MotoGP guys and get to see what uh, see how things shake out. And the very next place they get to come play is here at Coda. So speaking of Coda, you know, Coda's had a, it's seven years, six years old now. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of little undulations that are new in the track. How's that going to affect the motorcycle riders? You know, they're, um, they're going to do some work on it. Uh, I think they did it maybe before World, World Endurance is coming this weekend. Huh. Okay. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, did Probably. some grinding in a few spots uh, to try and smooth some of the bumps out to a, to, to to make the motorcycles a little bit. Uh, oh, they got to get it's a still the smoothest circuit in the world. <laughs> Leave a character. All right, guys. Well, we are out of time. Last Thanks thing, for t- don't forget uh, Moto GP uh, Moto Two. Joe Roberts. We have American skin in the game. That's He'll right. be here with Kevin uh, in a few weeks' time, and definitely here, obviously, for the Moto GP. All right. Weekend. Stay tuned to our social media this week, and we will talk to you next Sunday night. Have a good weekend. Happy trails. Hi, this is Mario Andretti, and this is Speed City. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.